Welcome back, Sam Fido here, and it is my honour to be hosting this podcast, We Are Human. I'm so happy to have our next guest on to tell his story, from a budding young sporting star to phenomenal music-making machine that he is, through life's ups and downs, continues to always be a winner. Uh, certain things uh, happen in our lives for reasons, and my guest has uh, definitely had many of those moments. Pete Murray, welcome to the podcast, mate. Sam, hey mate, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good, thank you very much. Now, I'm uh, definitely stepping out of my comfort zone here. I've been used to uh, talking to sporting superstars, uh, and usually in the rugby league community, so I'm stepping out of my comfort zone uh, interviewing a, a, a music artist like yourself, mate, so thank you very much for, for joining me. How, how good is it when you step out of your comfort zone, but, you know, I think it's uh, it's great, isn't it? You know, you're always a little bit nervous about something, but, you know, when you can get through it, it's good. Well, I think for me, to be honest, starting this podcast was uh, definitely stepping out of my comfort zone, first and foremost, yeah. telling my own story and, um, you know, uh, growing up uh, throughout my footy career, so... Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great opportunity to start conversations and, and hopefully we can uh, change people's minds, uh, change people's views on uh, us as human beings and uh, hopefully we can uh, change their lives as well at the same time. Sounds great. Mate. Young fella, um, you were born in Chinchilla. I was born in Miles actually. Yes, yes, uh, even further out from Brisbane, so another half an hour drive out. Uh, but I moved to Chinchilla when I was about nine. So um, yeah, still got a few memories of Miles, but pretty much Chinchilla was the... The, 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 my hometown yeah so you've been uh, have you been out to the chinchilla watermelon festival you know i haven't done that yet mate I, I i've been every time i've been asked to go out there and and play and there's always been something on that, that i haven't been able to get out there because it's every two years i think so there's always been some sort of tour that i've been doing and i haven't been able to get out there so um but no i still haven't haven't done it yet but it is it is on my thing thing to do or list you know mate i'll do a deal with you right now i'll go out there and play a game for the chinchilla bulldogs and uh, you can play the concert afterwards how about that that's good i was, I was getting nervous thinking you were going to sort of get me in the team as well mate. i think my, my playing days are well and truly over but yeah that, that sounds like a good thing i'd love to see you pull on the uh, the green and white and red strop of uh of the bulldogs the chinchilla bulldogs That'd be good. Well, okay. It's a deal. We've put it out there now. Someone from Chinchilla is probably <laughs> listening to this and uh, they'll be uh, sending us emails real soon and uh, making that happen. So um, growing up in a country town, what was that like for yourself? Well, it's the only thing I really knew. I didn't know anything different. So um, I thought it was great, mate. You know, I, I we went to the city on a few occasions because um, I was good at athletics and sport, you know, so we'll go to, to Brisbane, um, <clears throat> which was the big smoke. You know, it was, it was kind of a big scary city. It was kind of scared me a bit um coming from a small country town so when i'd go and compete we used to go qe2 stadium for athletics and i even played at lang park and under 12 queensland titles and um that was a thrill you know to go and play on, on lang park so um but the country was just no there's something about great about the country um living especially as a kid you know you had to make your own fun you'd be out you'd be outdoors all the time you'd be riding bikes you'd be Playing footy in the backyard, but you'd be going through the through the scrub for a swim down the, the creek, you know. So there was always something that was someone was doing with you, with your mates, and um, I don't know it was just it was great. You know, I found that it was fairly laid back, and 
you know, there wasn't too, I didn't, well, as a kid, I didn't feel any stresses or anything like that. It was just, it was really kind of a great place to be. Well, you talk about uh, the city or Brisbane being the big smoke. You end up uh, eventually moving to Brisbane as a, uh, an older teenager and going to one of the biggest schools in Brisbane and at Nudgee College. <laughs> uh, how was that experience for you? Yeah, that was good, mate. Um, you know, coming from Chinchilla where, you know, I think the school um, may have had 150, 200 kids. You know, then suddenly you're going to, um, you know, Nudgee, which was, um, had over a thousand kids there. It was kind of a pretty daunting thing, but it was good for me. I was really, um, you know, and the main move I made there was just to really sort of to try and get involved in the, in the sport more and have better competition um, in athletics and swimming and, and, and footy. And that was kind of the thing that I was really looking forward to. Um, you know, Ch- Chinchilla had, I felt, served its course for me and I really felt that if I wanted to, um, step up and do anything better, then you had to move to the city and have that competition. So, yeah, I was really, um, I was buzzing on it. I think it was really exciting. Um, homesick for the first couple of months, but after that, it was really, it was great. Settled in and, and you know, the like I remember even going to, I think the the GPS swimming was the first, the GPS event that I went to. And it was just, the, the place with, um, at Chandler was just, packed you know and the, and the vibe was just incredible you know so you went and had these sporting events where there was thousands of people you know and playing um or doing athletics at home it was just your parents would come and watch you and you know if you played a game game of footy uh a big crowd might have been 50 because that was parents again and some friends you know so um to go down and then play play rugby at, at nudgy uh, which i made the first you know that was you know we would have sometimes 10,000 people to a game which is incredible for a good boy stuff you know so it's a big a big change from from chinchilla was that your was that your goal was it your dream as a young kid to be a sporting superstar yeah yeah I, look i loved sport that was my whole life and i wanted to be you know my work even when i um kind of finished whatever i was doing um athletic was a big passion for me and also you know i love my footy as well so you know um in chinchilla league was the big was the big game and i loved it absolutely loved it couldn't get enough of it and athletics was the other thing. So, but there was one one year where where I was um, running the national titles, and I had to, and my mum was saying, "Look, you, you can't play footy this year if you want to, you know, give, have a good crack at the athletics. You, you know, you can get injured, so maybe don't play the season." I must have been under under fourteens or something. It was so hard for me that year not playing because um, you just, as a kid, you just did you want to do everything you could. But um, you know, um, it, it was. Uh, tough playing out there in the country too you know against even athletics and and um footy there were some pretty good players to say that you put all your eggs into one basket um you were pretty successful uh within your sporting arena and the sports that you chose but it was uh through a few knee injuries that actually introduced you to to music is that right yeah it was mate. That, that's kind of funny how it happened um i well at the end of my uh footy there was a I think it was the Gold Coast had a team, which was the, the Giants back then. It was early on, and uh, Johnny Sattler. Uh, I was playing with Scott Sattler. Scotty was um, nudgy as well, so um, and I was good mate to Scott. So John had come and seen me play, and he was like, "Mate, there's a there's a um, new team we're forming, the Gold Coast. We'd like you to come and try it out for it." And I was kind of keen, but I still wanted to do my athletics, and um, so uh, John and I said, "Look." Um, who would I be playing against? Because I'm, I'm just straight out of school. I wasn't sort of 
well built. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't your size, mate. I was kind of more athletic. <laughs> and he said, "Look, we we um, think you got a lot of potential. We'd like to put you up against Gene Miles." And I went, "No, <laughs> I'm, I'm not ready for that." So that kind of helped me make my mind up. But um, you know, playing then, and I went um, did athletics for a while. and Went back to rugby. There was a chance of um, making the Australian rugby sevens side because I was fit from athletics. Um, and just before that happened, I injured my knee. <clears throat> so it was pretty devastating. That was kind of a stepping stone to, you know, going on to um, obviously hopefully playing for the Wallabies, I guess, where, where that would go. But it wasn't to be. Um, had a knee injury, which kept me out. And then it was around the same time that I – and I was studying natural medicine as well. So I was really honing my whole life around sport. It was athletics and it was footy. And um, doing natural medicine, I wanted to work with um, sportsmen and women. That was my whole goal. I loved it. And um, so if I couldn't play it, um, I wanted to be working in that. And that's what I wanted to do. Funny thing happened. Had a knee injury. The same year, I think I was, um, I just said, look, I'm to myself, what am I doing? I just want to have a break. And um, sport had been my whole life for a long time. And I decided to just go. I had a girlfriend at the time and she went overseas and she said, look, you know, come and meet me over here and let's, let's go and do some backpacking. So I did. And I uh, just went away for 12 months and I, I loved it. And around the same time, I had just been um, – I picked up a guitar and um, borrowed it from a friend. So I, I was sort of learning how to play the guitar at that, that stage. Went overseas and by the time I came back, I you know, things had changed for me and I was really had this um, – passion for music, but I still wasn't, didn't think it was going to be a career. You know, for me, I thought I'll come back and I might play in a few pubs, play a few covers in, in some pubs. And that was kind of where I, I thought I'd go. So I came back and I started to um, play footy again and just had injury after injury. And I remember it's just like thinking to myself, the big, the big fella upstairs obviously doesn't want me to play this game. You know, I'm not, I'm not sort of built for it. So I, um, uh, and it, it was just funny how it all worked out, mate. You know, the more I played, guitar and then I had a couple of um I had pretty much one gig at Dooley's Hotel or on a Friday night for about two years and during that time I started to write my own stuff <clears throat> I thought it would be great to be playing in pubs but after a while you know you're, you're playing to lots of people who are on the booze and not really listening to what you're playing and uh, I how many times I'd get my microphone bumped into my mouth and so I got a bit sick of that so I thought the only way I'm going to get out of this is to write my own stuff so it's, it is funny how fate sort of um, plays a part in your life and that for me, having a knee injury to going overseas, coming back and you know picking up guitar, playing overseas, meeting buskers and really getting sort of passionate about something else that had never been in my life at all um, was an interesting thing and I'm still, like I said, at that stage, I, I didn't know that, that was going to be a career for me but it was you know what, what helped lead me down that track. So essentially you said you were kind of somewhat background music in the pub while people were getting drunk. You wanted to start writing your own stuff. When people start telling you you're good and you can become a recording music artist, do you believe them or do you just kind of, all right, yeah, thanks, appreciate it, uh, or do you, you take them somewhat serious? Well, actually, you know, it was, it was the opposite, Sam, because I had a lot of people at that stage. I was playing covers and I was you know, I had lots of... Um, mates and people coming to see me play and and I at that stage I started to sort of there was a stage where I started to switch to go to my own stuff so and um I had a lot of people saying oh don't waste your time doing that you won't you won't make any money you won't you know won't go anywhere stick to what you're doing just you know earn that money every week you're getting and I thought 
if I if I do that, I'm not challenging myself, and I'll never I'll never know how I'm going to go. So you you've really got to take a risk in life, and and that risk was when I decided to just cut the covers and not do that. Um, then you know I was basically no one's really knows you your own music at that stage, so no one is coming to see you. There's very little money that you're earning. It's a really really stressful time, and that was when you know I guess I had to be really determined and and have that self-belief when other people are saying look I think you should go back and finish your studies again and maybe do that and even my mum was getting very worried and my sister who I borrowed some money off to do um, an independent album she was getting worried too (laughs) whether she would get her money back you know and so I think you know friends and family were were really getting concerned for me and at that stage too I was I think I might have been 30 so you know it took a long time um I first picked up guitar at 22. By the time it all happened, it was kind of, you know, to, to do my own independent album, I was, I was 30. So it's, you're not young anymore, especially when your other mates are getting good jobs, having kids, and I've got no, no money in the bank and, you know, struggling and really stressed. It was probably, you know, the hardest couple of years of my life to try and do that. But, you know, it was worth it in the end. So uh, this is early 2000s, 2003, 2004. You blow up essentially. Um, you you release your first album, Feeler. You go top fifty in uh, end of two thousand and three, two thousand and four. You go top ten. How was uh, how was releasing that first album for you? Was it a sense of relief, or was it a sense of uh, was it a little bit of panic there? Because again, you're thirty years of age. You've put something out there. It's got your own brand on it. It's yourself. Um, how do you feel at this point in time? There are lots of panic. Yeah, I wasn't. I didn't feel. I, I didn't feel confident with it at all. I didn't think it was going to work. You know, I just. I don't know what it was. I think it's. You kind of have this post-album blues that you. That you can sort of finish your work and you just don't think it's good enough sometimes, and that's. What happened to me on that one? And I was really nervous about it. You know, I think even the label, was saying to me, "Look, our goal for this is to sell 20,000 20, albums, which is not not a lot." And I think, you know, being um, stressed, mate, very stressed about the whole thing, when that happened, it sort of um, it, it, it happened fairly quickly. You know, like the the radio stations um, got onto it and they all, well, they all wanted it. And I remember the record label saying, look, we've never been in a situation where we've had radio stations coming to us saying, why don't we have this artist? We, we want this guy where they've always got to work really hard to try and break an artist. This was just kind of unfolding and happening. Um, so I still didn't believe what was happening at the time. You know, it was just this, um, had this bit of success um, with the first song, Feeler, that came out. <clears throat> and that went from Triple J onto commercial. Once commercial sort of got it, things really started to happen quite quickly. But I remember doing a show, a place called Bar Broadway in Sydney, and it held about 400 people. And, I mean, if I could get 50 people to a show, that was, that was a good show. Um, and I remember going, we went to the sound check the day, came back to the hotel, went back into the ho- went back to the venue that night. I remember driving in with the band in the car in the Tarago, and there was a lineup of people right around this building and right down the street. And I'm thinking, oh shit, someone else is playing next door. You know, I still didn't think they were there for me. And I'm going, someone else is playing next door. This is, you know, that's a shame. I would probably be lucky to get anyone to the show. And then I realised that it was crowd for me you know the first time I, I felt that this could actually work um, you get that bit of a um, sense of relief and even excitement that things can work and um, you know I just remember coming out on stage and 
I said to the band, look, I'll come out and I'll just sing a, um, a solo song first and then, and then or a couple of solo songs and then you guys can come out and play with me. And I remember singing the last song off that album, which is called Ten Foot Tall, which I didn't think anyone would know. Um, and I came out and sang it and then the crowd sang it back word for word. And it was just like it's the first time I experienced that. And I was like, wow, this is like next level. So from that gig onwards, it, things just didn't look back. It just became bigger and bigger. And it was like jumping in the deep end of the pool and learning how to swim. So it was just happening so quickly that you, you're trying to keep up and keep your head above water. Now uh, you just mentioned the, the post-album blues. Um, talk us through that. And like, it sounds funny, but is it a real thing? And how, how deep do you get into those blues? Yeah, it's a real thing. Um, and you can get really deep in it. It's so much so that I hated Feeler for about eight years. I didn't listen to it, that album. Um, even when it was blowing up, I kind of, I was happy that it was blowing up, but I was disappointed because I, I didn't think the album was good enough and I was kind of almost pissed off that people were liking it. <laughs> I was like, I just didn't understand why it was working. And I didn't understand because I think when you're so close to something, you really, rather than listening to it, a body of work you're just too busy pulling it apart you know like you might you might be the same when you're playing a game and if <clears throat> and if you're watching yourself you'll you'll be upset because you've dropped the ball or done something wrong you see you're focusing on all the negative things rather than the positive things that you're doing and i think that was the thing for me i was focusing on the negative things that i thought were negative on that album that wasn't working for me but it was working and, and, and everyone else just listened to that album from start to finish and didn't think about that they would play it and it obviously did something for them because it was a massive album so yeah, I was I struggled in eight years. Eight years later, I still couldn't listen to that album from start to finish. Every time I tried, I would just get nearly towards the end of the first song and stop it and go, I can't, I can't listen to it. Which was pretty difficult, you know. And then I got a text from Darren Middleton from Powderfinger. And yeah. um eight years later and he said, Mate, just listen to Feeler. What a great album. And I remember thinking, What is it? Like, what is it with this album? So I've got I've got to listen to this album and and so I basically that day I sat down and I <laughs> played it from start to finish and I said just don't stop it just listen to it don't pull it apart and get to the end and then just then let it go and so I sat there that day eight years later after that was released and you know it sold I don't know seven hundred thousand copies or something it was massive um well, I could listen to it and relax and actually hear the 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 beauty in it rather than all the, the negativity that I thought was there. So, and at the end, that was like a real relief. I went, actually, that's a really good album. I'm really proud of that. So, you know, yeah, you do, the, the blues is a, is a difficult thing. Um, and I think a lot of artists do suffer from that because it is, we are so critical on our, of our own work. I do always find the guys that think their music's fantastic normally isn't. <laughs> so it's probably a good thing as well. Yeah, and it's so, it's so true. You need to find that balance between, um, you know, loving yourself, pumping your own tires up, but also being somewhat critical of yourself to, um, you know, improve and get better. And that's why I see the similarities between rugby league and professional sports players and musicians. We are pretty harsh on ourselves uh, sometimes. And, and that's where you see the best players have their uh, ability to kind of move on after they've made a mistake or they've learned from that and they've grown. So, um, so many similarities between between both that's a real challenge i think especially in in um in league you know or you know footy the code you know if you make a mistake and if you dwell on that 
you're in all sorts of trouble, aren't you? And I think that there's while all of um, uh, talk about you guys in the Origin team for that ten years that were winning games, and I was there for that because was you know I felt so um, uh, lucky to be part of that. With you guys, the winning streak that you had, but you guys would make mistakes, and you wouldn't dwell on it. You just pick up and you just go ahead. And and I you know been there for the halftime talks when everyone you were down, you're behind. It didn't look like you were going to come back, you know, but then you would always come back and those games. So it's, it's the same thing. It's that when you just got to keep moving forward, you know, when, um, and look at, like with music too, and I, where I, even though I thought feeler wasn't working, I didn't give up. I kept going and had to do it, you know, probably another, at least two albums or three albums before I listened to feeler. And you just got to keep, keep moving forward and try and improve what you're doing. And that's the biggest thing, try and improve what you're doing rather than for me, music musically music's not a competition you know you can't compete against someone else it's more you just got to compete against yourself and i think that can be an issue with with music because a lot of guys can be jealous and you know resent someone else that is having success and it's you can't compete against anyone else other than yourself with music so sports a little different you know you 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 are physically up against someone um all the time you know especially in the league so it's a little different but music's kind of um is what it is being a singer songwriter is like playing golf as long as you know golf always wins uh it's yeah. all good. you enjoy it yeah, yeah at the end of the well, day. that's it mate i think the main <laughs> thing is you know uh you know i feel very very blessed to ha- have a uh, a career in music because um you know especially in this country there's not a lot of a lot of artists that have a career and it's it's really tough you know to try and make a living out of it so um, I feel very blessed that, that I've done that you've uh, you've hit the ground running definitely with Feeler um, you've had a lot of success uh, even surprised yourself what's the demand like then after that to give the people another album uh, it's it's yeah you can feel it you definitely feel it at that stage you know the next album will see the sun and, and off that you know I th- I kind of felt like I needed some some big singles, you know. Back then, before Spotify, you were really uh, kind of being, I guess, the radio is what you need to sort of keep you keep you going. So I remember we had um, <clears throat> two songs that were big songs off that album were "Better Days" and um, "An Opportunity." And "Better Days" was um, everyone kind of felt that was you know, a winner and was going to, going to work really well. But I felt like I needed something else. And about a week before I went into the studio to record that album, I had to, I felt like I had to have another song. Um, and then I just remember sitting at home. I was living in Melbourne at the time and I just remember writing Opportunity and it came quite quickly, I think in a, about a day. I had the song finished and had it recorded as a demo and um, it felt really good, you know. So it was. I felt like there was a couple of good songs there that were ready to go. And... Um, so they went well. I think that year they got released. Um, Better Days was the thirteenth most played song on commercial radio, and Opportunity was the was the most played song on commercial radio. That's including international acts. So it was the biggest song of that year, and for a commercial song, which was just acoustic guitar and vocal, was pretty rare and unheard of. You know. So it goes another lonely day. Saving time, but you're miles away. Your flowers drowning in some bitter tea. The sea and last opportunity. But I do feel sorry. I remember that I played 
uh, live at the grand final 2000. And- yeah, mate, I missed it. I missed it. <laughs> I was in the sheds. <laughs> I remember the song Better Days. I had to play that. And it was a tribute to Lockie for something or other. And I remember thinking, this is not the right song for, for Lockie. You know, I've seen better days. It was because it was, he's, he was such a, an amazing player. But I always felt bad. It was preparing him for Mad Monday because he, at that point <laughs> yeah, in probably. time, he's seen better days. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, look, those songs yeah. went on and they did really well and it kept things flo- flowing, you know. So I think the biggest, biggest problem that a lot of acts and a lot of bands have is when you have a successful first album is trying to back that up with a successful second one and, and a lot of a lot of artists don't. And that's where not saying that their music's not good enough, but but they don't get the support of radio or whatever happens, it just doesn't work, you know, and that's the really tricky thing. So a lot of things have to go your way. And um and they did for that for me. And that just really sort of cemented me, I think, after Feeler was so big. Then we had to step up with those two those two singles. They were even bigger. And that just sort of, you know, Allowed me on for you know, the next whatever it was ten years. It just kind of you know it was it was always going to be big. And those songs are they're all classic songs, and you can play them, and the crowd will sing back, and they know every word. So it's funny you say that. You can um, the better you get as an artist, and and the more recognised your songs are. You can go to a concert, you don't have to sing a word, and people have still paid to come and see you. <laughs> that happened. That happened to me one time. I lost my voice. I played in, in um, Wollongong. And uh, we had it was like five thousand people there, and it was my voice was slowly deteriorating over this tour, and I was um oh it got to the point where I just I just lost it, and I was so nervous about this, and I just couldn't sing. But normally the other shows previous I would start, and it would be a bit croaky at first, but but I'd get through. Anyway, this particular show uh, was was a big crowd. I remember coming on stage, and I started. I had a bass player playing an upright bass with me and we're playing a song called Freedom off the off the Feeler album. And because um, so it's just basically acoustic and vocal and double bass. So I can't hide, you know, and I started to sing the first couple of lines and and I just didn't have a voice. I tried. I went through the first chorus and I just had nothing. It was, it was cracking up and I just kind of stopped and I just went, look, Said to the crowd, I'm really sorry, but I've you know I've been struggling with this, and I'm at the point now I just can't sing. I said the only way for me to get through this concert is if you guys actually sing for me, and or try and help me out. And it made, everyone stood up and sang word for word. It was the most incredible concert. At the end of it, and I I mean anything high, I just didn't sing. I just I couldn't. And um, at the end of the concert, we had three people ask for their money back out of five thousand. So it was pretty. Pretty amazing. Oh, that's awesome. How good. Um, I just want to go back um, briefly and just touch on, again, trying to get that next album out. And, you know, you've got two successful albums now. You've done a great job. There's no winning formula. You kind of just have to hope you get radio play at that time. Uh, Hope your fans uh, come with you on the journey uh, and don't kind of compare albums to albums. You release the third album. Where's your headspace at at this point in time? Are you are you flying high or are you more stressed than ever? I was fine by that stage. I think I was I was comfortable with the success that that I'd had. Um, things had gone really well, you know. So it's funny because I'd had feel I was still had so much airplay when we had the 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 other songs like Opportunity and Better Days we were bringing out 
we had to get the record label, had to ask the radio stations to stop playing the songs of Feeler so that we could play the new, the new ones, you know. And, and then by this is these songs are still being smashed on radio. It's a long time, you know. And I had early days, I had my friends who were chippies, you know, they'd be calling up going, mate, yeah, it's awesome. You're getting played, you know, blah, blah, and they're singing along. And, you know, then after a few more years, they said, if I hear another one of your songs on the radio, I'm <laughs> so I'm like, oh. so by the time Summit Eureka came, I didn't want commercial radio anymore. So, I, so that album was really just a, an album that I wrote from, don't mean to sort of say not try not to get it, but I didn't, I, I didn't care if I didn't, you know what I mean? So I kind of, I was um, really into kind of getting into Neil Young at that stage and, you know, I guess he was kind of, he didn't care about the commercial success either too much. And I was like at the point where I just went, I don't think I, I don't care. So I did Summit Eureka and, and that was an album that I just felt um, really happy with, you know, and the songs on there, I, I loved them. We didn't get much commercial airplay. And, I, and in a way, I was kind of relieved because it was, um, I didn't want it. And I think that that stage you, you do you get very start to get very concerned because you're getting flogged so much on the radio. You think people are going to get so, so sick of you. Um, that I was kind of happy that we got a bit of airplay, but not too much on that one. The songwriting process, you kind of have to find a balance between some darkness uh, and then a bit of light, and then tiptoe in between to to write a good song, don't you? Yeah, well, you've got to you've got to write um, lyrical content that I think people can connect to. And when you get that, people can connect to it. It's just, it's, it seems to be really easy. Everyone just falls for the song. Um, but I try. Is that a sign of a good song? A sign of a good song for me is when I listen to the song and as if the artist wrote the song for me. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. And, and um, that, that's exactly the sign of a good song because people do feel like, you feel like you know the artist too, don't you? You feel like you just know them so well. Um, and I think that's an important thing. If you can write a song like that, then people can connect to it. Uh, if there's no connection, then it's, it's yeah, it just doesn't really work. But, um, you know, the, I think all those songs that, that were that were out back in those days, um, you know, So Beautiful and Better Days and Opportunity, they had those, they had that connection. Um, and I, look, it's, it's a combination of things too, you know, like I think connection lyrically, but also melody's got to be great. Um Music, everything's got to be good, really. If you can have a sing-along chorus, it's even better, you know, because people just start singing it, and it's got to have this catchy kind of melody that, that people can sing to. It's even better again. So, and that's it's not an easy thing to do, you know. It's um, I think it's one of the hardest things is trying to write a good song um, that has all those all those good qualities. That's a really difficult thing. So, um, and you don't always get it right. So, you know, you got to write your crappy ones to get your good one, I guess. So, you know. It's just the way it goes. Uh, you got to have a few bad games in between the good ones. That's right, mate. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, bit, bit people, lazy think the back of the pack. people think you're good all the time. Now, so throughout uh, this whole process of success, you got a few ups and downs uh, along the way. First, your first marriage, you end up um, separating from your first marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had two boys. Um, yeah, look, I think the touring was pretty grueling back then. It's very difficult for any sort of marriage um and it, yeah it's a, it was a hard thing and that was a lot that time there was a lot of pressure on me to to do a lot of things you know and also like that whole thing about you know you got to make the hay while the sun shines you got to do things you know so yeah def definitely um stressful time trying to balance young family 
and a career that you don't know how, how long it's going to go for. So um, difficult, difficult thing to try and do. So I think you need to have um, both people in the relationship need to be really understanding and, underst- and understand how it works, you know. And that's the thing. I think when you jump into that deep end and you're trying to swim, you have no idea. You don't know how it works. And you're just trying your best to, to do what you what you can to maintain it. And that's the thing. So, you know, definitely a tricky thing. But, um, you know, look, we've got two great boys. They're, they're really, they're great. They're, they're not damaged from it. And that's, that's the, I think that's the main thing. If you do have any separation, which happens a lot these days, it's really important to try and uh, make sure the kids are, uh, are okay with that. And that's the, to, to make sure. It's always tough for them um, when that happens. But, you know, um, in the long run, it's it's better for them if there, if there's a lot of fighting and carrying going on because that's not a not a positive environment for kids. Yeah, definitely, so true. Um, and you just mentioned touring uh, and how much touring uh, you were doing throughout that successful period. But in saying that, you've always toured. You've always been out there on the road. How are you going over the last couple of years? It's been tough not being out of tour as much. Yeah, um, yeah, it's been tough, man. The whole COVID thing, obviously, you know, the the music industry, um, hospitality, tourism, we're all really, we're kind of the last ones to come back and that's, uh, we've been hit pretty pretty hard for that. So music's the last, the very last, because we can't just start up again next week. You know, our, our touring takes anywhere from, you know, nearly like six months to try and plan something. You put a run together. Uh, so much work goes into it, or even festivals. There's so much work that goes into that, you know. And when it gets cancelled, I mean, the Blues Fest got cancelled um, 24 hours out the the last time. You know, when second time, second year in a row, that's happened. 24 hours out, it's really difficult, you know. And you've done all the work. They've got all the food in the in the the stalls. They've got all the, the beer packed, and it's all just, you know, you can't do anything with the food that's gone. So it's really it. That's hard, you know, when that happens. So um, we're just hoping that, that next year is going to be a positive year. I think everyone who's had tours this year has pushed them all back to to next year. So there's going to be a really busy year of, of lots of live music, but I think people are up for it and they you know they want to get out and see some shows and, and kick back. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I hope so. Yeah, we hope so. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Fingers crossed for that. Um, I've, I've been speaking to the people at the Broncos anyway and I said that, you know, maybe we should have – a concert slash Broncos game because it's a sporting event. So then you can come and play, mate. So trying to trying to come up with some ideas for you to help you out. It's true, mate. It's true, and it's been difficult um, to to watch the um, the sport go ahead. You know, and I've got nothing against that. I think it's great. I think it's great that that is going ahead. But it's very difficult when you've got um, you know crowds going to stadiums for the for the footy and the cricket, and you know the, the crowds. Aren't that much different to what you get um, at some festivals, you know. There's a bit more roaming around, but um, these days they've got seating and everyone's everyone wears their masks. And I've, I did lucky I did a couple of concerts early in the year, and uh, one we did in Cronulla, and it was like eight thousand people there. Everyone sat down, everyone wore their masks. You know, people are happy to kind of go by the rules um, so they can see their live music, and that's a, a good thing. So uh, hopefully the government will. We'll understand how that works, and and not and not fear the live music so much, you know. Especially if it's outdoors, indoors. I know there's a bit of big concern about indoors, but outdoors, you know, we should be able to do something and and keep that moving ahead. 
as you can in the, the sporting industry as well. Yeah, I'll have to have a chat to JT. He's got ScoMo's number. He'll give him a call. As he, yeah, just pass it. Just forward it to me. I'll call him. Yeah, just a quick text or just yeah. a, a quick little <laughs> conversation. So what have you been up to uh, over the last two years of kind of what's been happening with the, all the COVID stuff? You've been, uh, you've been riding? You've been anything new on the cards? I do know that... Um, you did make a COVID baby as well. I did. Yes, yes, mate. Yeah, well, there was yeah. a bit of that going on. So uh, we had little Sahara now. She was um, 10, 11 weeks. So she's a very, yeah. very cruisy little kid, which is great. That's number four for me. And um, that's going to be my last one, I think. So I'll have to hang up the, uh, hang up the whatever for that one and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and retire. A couple of bricks. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, time up, whatever it takes. <laughs> so, look, it's great. You know, we, I've just spent a lot of time with family. Um, I have, we put a, an EP out, six track EP last year, and putting another six track um, EP out pretty soon. It's coming out. Just keeping things moving and uh, looking forward to kind of getting back and, and playing the shows live next year. It's been difficult because, you know, normally you put music out, you tour it to promote it and um, that's how it works, you know, but we can't tour. So it's been a really hard thing for any, any new music that comes out. It's been a bit of a roller coaster for a lot of people out there, uh, being in lockdown, being out of lockdown, uh, not being out of work. Uh, how has your mental health been throughout this uh, whole period? Yeah, look, I'm not too bad, mate. It's, it is it, we're going through a little bit of stress at the moment because we, I had a few gigs booked towards the end of the year and we started the renovations on the house. So, you know, it's kind of big renos and I had some had some gigs lined up that were going to cover the majority of that anyway. They've all fallen apart. So like a lot of people, I think you can find yourself in that situation where and there's been lots of renovations going on too at the moment with people probably due to, you know, not much not much work and, um, you know, you can get yourself stuck when you think you've got something coming in, especially the music industry, you think you've got something coming in and it's off and then when does it come back on now? So, you know, we're probably six months away. So a little bit of that. But look, um, you do go a bit a bit crazy at times. You want to you want to get back and you want to get back to your work and you want to keep moving forward because, you know, I love, I love doing it. I love playing live and um, that's what I want to do. So, uh, but, you know, it's been good here. Luckily, Byron Bay, mate, we can go to the beach and, and have a surf and kind of, you know, if you do get stressed, it goes away pretty quick in the surf. Now, the music industry has changed a lot since you first started. Um, you know, I think we spoke about, you know, it was all about radio play back in the day. What's it like now with, uh, with you know, releasing music on Spotify? Yeah, it's very different, very different now. I think it's all about algorithms, you know. I think, uh, yeah. yeah. Does, it add, does it add to the stress? You know, you talked about the, the post-album blues or, you know, post-EP blues, putting something out there. Does it add to it now, you know, knowing that you have to have listens to make money? Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of, it's, I think it's difficult for an older artist. I think younger artists have probably a younger following, so they're really across it, you know, like I say. Instagram and TikTok yeah, and those so things. My, my, Mate, you'd, you'd be great on TikTok, oh, I reckon. I'm amazing. <laughs> so... Or you could just get on Instagram. I know there's a lot of ladies out there who would love uh, OnlyFans from people. Yeah, like that's right. Shirt, shirt off. Yeah. My wife would subscribe for sure. 
<laughs> Mate, it's, look, you know, I think that that stuff, it's been, that's pretty good. You can kind of keep things going there. But um, it is different. Like this, this Spotify thing, I always think um, it doesn't have to be a, an amazing song anymore for it to, to be successful, you know, and that's where um, Spotify just can just take, a song can just take off and, you know, um, whatever it is, you know. So it doesn't have to be amazing lyrics, doesn't have to be anything incredible, but everyone's got an opportunity now to be heard by the world where I think back in the old days, kind of selected artists who were kind of with the labels and, you know, have that helped get airplay, it made it a bit, a bit harder for everyone to have a crack at it. So it's definitely opened up all sorts of music to the world. Obviously, a lot more competition out there to try and um, compete against for people to, to stream your music. So, but look, I, I kind of believe, man, if you've got a good song, you've got a good song and people are going to listen to it. So that's what I just try to keep writing songs like that, that you'll get people that will want to listen to it and talk about it and tell their friends about it. Mate, you give me a song and I'll try and put it on TikTok and make it viral for you and then you'll get right, some. Mate, I'll give you one of the... I'll give you one of the new singles you can you can dance to or something like that. All right, I'll shake my booty to You and your girls. Yeah, I'll put the budgie smugglers on, mate, and then yeah. (laughs) Mate, that's you don't have to go that far. Okay, I'm just. I'd like the song. I'd like the song to be successful. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) I think um, I'll end this with um, something that uh, you said earlier on, and I just wanted to go back to it. Is um, at the end of the day, did you end up paying your sister back? Yes, I did. I did. Yes. Okay. Yeah, she That's she got cool. her money back, so she was off my case. <laughs> so, but like, they were oh great. Uh, my sister Nicole, who I call, have always called Coley. Coley and Don, her husband, were, were great for me back in the early days, and they I, I actually ended up even living downstairs at their house for a while, and even painting their house to try and sort of. I just had no money, so they were great. They looked after me, um, gave me some money to get the the uh, the album done, and yeah, once I got a. Um, signed to Sony I got a, uh, some money up front so I ended up that was the first the first people I paid back with those guys oh nice mate uh, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast I really do appreciate it and uh, mate I wish you all the best going forward hopefully see you touring soon and um, yeah I'll definitely be front row shirt off um, screaming uh, fangirling at heart that's right mate well it won't be the first time that you've had your shirt off when I've been playing to you again I remember the the, the most awkward gig that I ever did remember you guys, I was in the origin camp, and you guys were all getting oh, we're getting massages, massages. Yeah. And you said to me, "What's the what's the weirdest gig you've ever done?" And I said, "Well, you have to be this one, mate." I was playing, I was playing a few songs for yeah for the for the origin team for everyone out there. The Queensland origin team, yeah, yeah. All the boys were in there, like <laughs> smugglers getting massages, and I was playing some songs. It was very strange times. Yeah, I think I had the glutes out at that point in time. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. wasn't I wasn't looking that close, mate. <laughs> <laughs> 